Thank you. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. 44. Kids, you're dismissed to Lift Kids Church. And just for that, I spent 44 hours on the road over the past two weeks driving. One for every year of my life. I didn't plan it that way, but God is sovereign. And so today, I didn't want to lug all my commentaries all the way to almost Memphis and back. But uh, so, I, so I chose to do a different sermon today. And so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, but first, I want to give you a picture of where we were last Sunday. I think Keith may have mentioned it, but we were at Kirk of the Hills. It's a mainline denomination. Won't mention the denomination uh, because we found out after this, this church was devoid of any biblical foundation. But it fit the time that we could go to church because we had a family reunion to go to. So we went to church and it was interesting to see. Uh, we walked in. The title that day was Lost and Found Romans 6. I was like, I'm just going to take whatever they feed me here and just give it to EBC in like 2018 whenever we get to Romans 6. And, uh, and then there was nothing. And you know that there was nothing because your kids are like, well, I didn't really understand what that pastor was talking about. He seemed, and this is not from me, this was from my children. He seemed to be talking more about stories than the scripture. But from my children, praise the Lord. Um, but there were some good things about that church. They actually asked their guests that would be us, to stand up and introduce ourselves. And I think, I was like, we're going to start that here today. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not going to ask our guests to do that. But it just got me thinking about this church in EBC. And, uh, you know, we showed that video about me church. And, and it got me thinking about church. What are the reasons people go to church? Um, the me church uh, I, think I, I think I have a slide there on it. Is the church the right temperature? Is the church the right size? I love that, by the way, when the guy said, too small and I don't stack chairs. Uh, the right length of the sermon or a right uh, exegetical sermon, that's what we're going to do today. But that's not what the church is about. It's not about what you want. Uh, it's not about um, what you prefer. And so today, we're going to look at the church. Here are a couple quotes about six reasons why I love the local church. This first one's from Justin Taylor. The church should be a safe place for sinners. Amen? Anybody should be able to come in here, yet without being a safe place for sin. We shouldn't expect to walk through these doors, hear this uh, word preached, and not be convicted by the Bible about what's going on in our own heart. That we don't just show up and do this for years upon years upon years and never change. Something should be going on in our heart. And second, from Michael Horton, I love this. The church is not the place where Christians or disciples go once a week. It's where they go. Uh, it's where disciples are made. And so we don't just come here. Church is not just from 1010 to whenever I finish. Um, but it is something that is a part of our life, bigger than Sundays. And so today I'm going to give you six reasons why I love this local church, and literally, better than that, six reasons why I love the local church anywhere across the country that's doing it according to the scripture. And we're going to use Ephesians as our guide. The book of Ephesians has 155 verses. We're going to cover them uh, at a high level, uh, but 
It only takes 19 minutes to listen to it. I did it yesterday. I had 13 hours to contemplate. <laughs> and I listened to the entire things in, in 19 minutes. Did you know, by the way, side note, you can listen to the entire Bible in 72 hours. Did I try that myself? No, not yet. But it's interesting. And so 19 minutes, I listened to the book of Ephesians. You were probably hoping this will be a 19-minute sermon. Not going to do it. But what Ephesians is, is the love letter of Paul. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. This is the love letter of Paul. It's mentioned 20 times in noun or verb form. And the word church is mentioned nine times. Two-thirds of those it's mentioned in chapter 5, where we always go to talk about marriage. It is highly emphasizing the church. And so today we're going to look at each chapter. We're going to get a brief overview walk through it at a high level, and we're going to get a reason why you, or at least why I, should love the local church, and then an application to our lives. It'll be an application to us, but I will put it in that my formula. And so we begin in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. This is a real person who lived in history and he had a special mission. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus. So what he's writing to us is for us. And he says it's to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice it didn't say to Joe. Even though Joe and I went through seminary together, it doesn't say Joe. It doesn't say to Mel. It says to the saints, plural, who are in Ephesus. And actually, if you do a little commentary research on this, it was, this was an encyclical letter, meaning this letter was to go around to all the churches, to the saints in whatever local church. And so Paul assumed by the power of the Holy Spirit in writing this to us, he assumed that every believer would be in a local church for all of their life. To the saints who are in Ephesus or who are in Eagle, who are in Avon, who are in Vale. To the saints who are in eagle, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you get uh, Paul here does something in these two verses. He's talking to individuals who are under the authority of God, that is the apostles' teaching, Acts 2, and who are in community with God's people. There's no solo Christians. It's, Joe and I learned year after year at Denton Bible Church, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. It's not just you and God. It's us. This letter is written to us, and we are here by the mercy of God's grace and the peace which he gives us. And so in those first two verses, you get the author, you get the audience, and you get that affirmation. And then in the next part of this chapter, you're going to see in 3 through 14, it is one long divine run-on sentence. This would have made Cam frustrated and all you English teachers when Paul starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he just goes on through verse 14, and it's all one sentence in the Greek. The English obviously breaks it up, but that one sentence talks about the selection of God the Father, that before he even created the world, he had a plan. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And it was the sacrifice of Christ his son, that in him we have redemption through the forgiveness, through his blood in the forgiveness of sins. And so it's the sacrifice of the son and then it's the sealing of the spirit. 
that we have been sealed. It is a guarantee. There's no way you and I can lose our salvation. And so what this does for us is it shows us who we are in Christ. And then in 15 through 23, it's a a prayer. It's a prayer. So Paul tells us of this wonderful uh, Trinitarian God that we have and who's revealed his salvation to us. And then it's a prayer that we would actually understand it. It's a prayer for us. That he says in 1 18 through 20, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that Paul wanted us to see something clearly. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That is the past. This covers your past. He has called us to something. To which, uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That there's something coming in the future. There is an inheritance for us. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. And so we look back to the hope of which he's called us. We look forward to the riches and we look around us and we see the power of God. That we could go, as I've often said, put a mic up here and each person could come up and share their testimony. They could share what God's doing in their life and we would see the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then he worked that in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then in 122, it says of Christ that God put all things under his feet, that is under Christ's feet, and gave him head over all things to the church. That Jesus Christ is not only the ruler of the church, but he is a gift to the church. God put all things under his feet. So God gave Jesus his authority. Even Jesus' authority is derived. And he gave him head over the church, that we are underneath Christ. You'll see that in a minute. To the church. He gave Jesus to the church. We all like to quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He gave Jesus to the church. And here's the first reason why I love the local church. The local church teaches us about God's sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. He... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in Him, in Jesus, before the foundation, before He even created the world, He had it all planned out. And He's working everything, as Joe read earlier, according to the counsel of His will. The only thing, go look it up, be a Berean, the only thing mentioned twice in that one run-on sentence is God predestinating us. It is God's sovereign grace. And so from that, here is my first application to you in the idea, my identity, if I'm going to associate anything, my identity is in Christ. It is not in uh, who I am apart from him. My identity is in Jesus Christ. That is chapter one. And the first reason, because I learn of God's sovereign grace. He's in control of everything and he's extended grace to us. Amen. In chapter 2, he's going to play this out. How does this get played out? And so he's going to show us that we were former children of disobedience, and now we're fellow citizens of heaven. So in the first 10 verses, he's going to show how we were children. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the power of this world, according to Satan, the prince of the power of this world. But look at these two verses, two of the greatest verses in the Bible. But God... But God, even though we were dead in our sins and we walked according as sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived, as is all of the rest of mankind, 
But God, being rich in mercy, that's why I used that word mercy earlier in the introduction, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And here's that first great quote, by grace you have been saved. And what is so beautiful about this chapter is each paragraph, 1 through 10 and 11 through 22, is the exact same structure. And you can see this on the outline above, that each section talks about once you were like this, but then or but now God did something in your life, therefore... And so we are saved from something bigger than ourselves. We are saved to something bigger than ourselves. But once, individually, we were children of disobedience in 1 through 3. In 11 and 12, we were separated from Christ. We were not a part of the community. But now, 4 through 7, God has saved us by His grace. But now in 13 through 18, we are citizens. We're part of a living kingdom. Therefore, He never leaves us. He doesn't just save us and just say, it's done. In 10, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, left no one should boast, but you're his poema, you're his workmanship, created, you're created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared for you to walk in. So if you consider this a good work today that Joe did, and if you're considering what I'm doing a good work, guess what? God already had it planned. Did, did Joe choose the four songs? He did. Did I choose to do six reasons why I love the local church? I did. But God was sovereign over that. It was a good work that he had planned before him that I'm just now walking in. Amen? It's not said, the church isn't something concocted by man. It's something that God has done. And so once we were apart from Christ, now by God's very grace, we are in Christ. Therefore, there's something we should do, which brings me to my next reason why I love the local church. The local church is we are, where we are individually saved and we grow together. It is for as a purpose for God's people that in our individual lives, we are still individuals, but we are part of God's family. And so my application to you on this would be not only is my identity in Christ individually, but my community is with God's people. People are coming to know the Lord but they should be encouraged to get in a local church. Inside the local church. And so that is chapter 2. How about chapter 3? Paul then goes on and he says, there's something for us to do. If God planned it and Christ executed it, what should we do? And Paul begins chapter 3, for this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... And then he digresses. He will actually pick up that phrase down in 14 and say it again. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But he digresses to talk about this great and glorious thing that we call the gospel. And Paul says, for this reason. And then it's almost like he gets caught up in what is so wonderful. And we're just going to look at four verses, verses 8 to 11, of this mystery that was revealed. To me, though I'm the very least of all saints... As Paul went on in his, in his life, he said he was the least of the apostles. Here he says he's the least of the saints. And in Timothy, he's going to say, I'm the chief of sinners. As Paul grew in holiness, his understanding of himself before Christ um, was very humbled. Least of the apostles, least of the saints. And I don't think Paul's talking here in, with rhetoric, just, oh, I got to make this, you know, Judd's going to be, Paul's, you know, Judd's going to be preaching this. I've got to put something in here 
make it a kind of a humbling statement. I don't think that's what Paul was doing. I think Paul really thought, you know, I used to persecute the church. And he chose me, and when he writes in Timothy, but he chose me among whom I was the foremost to show his blessing. He's the least of the saints. This grace was given to do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That no longer, please, in your own life, don't say Christianity is a mystery. It is not. It has been revealed. Is life with God somewhat mysterious? At times, yes, but Christianity is not a mystery. It has been clearly revealed, and so we can know it, we must know it, and why? Here's the beautiful reason. This verse 10 is so wonderful. So that through the church, Jesus Christ was given to the church so that through the church, the manifold Wisdom of God might be made known to who? The rulers and authority in heavenly places. Not only do we share the gospel with the world, but angels are learning about God from us. I could stop right there and I could preach for another six weeks, but I'm just going to say it like Piper would say, do you get that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's huge. That should cause us to go, whoa. So my life counts for something bigger than myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And then he picks it up in 14. For this reason. So in 1 through 13, he kind of had this break about the glorious gospel. But then he gets to what he wants to say. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is not a universalist, but he's saying that God is the one who has creative ownership over every human. And so God can tell every human, this is what you ought to be about. That according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. Why do we need to be strong? I Last summer on my sabbatical, you guys heard that I got a certificate through the the, the organization called Strong First. And the reason they're called Strong First is they think strength helps everything else. And I think Paul understood that. He wants us to be strong through the power of the Spirit. But why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength, the strength to what? To know, to comprehend with all the saints. Here's the beauty. What is the breadth? What is the length? What is the height? What is the depth? Paul's saying here he's just going in every single direction. This is all encompassing. And here it is. He summarized it in 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that doesn't mean his love is incomprehensible. I actually had that written down and I had to change it. It doesn't mean that. We can comprehend it. But it surpasses knowledge. We can only know so much and we can't know more because we don't have the mind of the, the infinite mind of Christ. We have his mind now. 1 Corinthians 2.16, that we don't know everything about how glorious he is. It surpasses knowledge. It should wow us. You mean to tell me how we do church together, how we set up, how we pray, how we clean up, how we go about our week, that is instructing angels? Whoa. Whoa. And so he ends that chapter 
with a classic two verses you've probably heard before. Now to him who's able, he has the ability, he has the power to do far more abundantly than what we ask. That is why we are to pray often and pray diligently. Ask because he can do far more than we ask or think. You can't even think of the possibilities of what Jesus can do according to the power that is at work within us. It's in us. To him be the glory. And notice he's glorified in the church. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. That is general revelation. But specific revelation shows Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in and through the church. In Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. And here is my third reason why I love the local church. The local church is a universal witness. It's a universal witness. It's not just a worldwide witness. It's actually universal. It includes the the angels above, the rulers and the powers of authority above us. It includes everyone around us. It's a universal witness of the wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God through the church and the, 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 the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So when you think about Eagle Bible Church or you think about any other church that's faithfully preaching through the Scriptures, that is what's going on. The manifold wisdom of God and the love of Christ is being promoted to the universe. So here is my application for you. My testimony is the good news. That my testimony to the world is not, I can do a one-arm, one-leg push-up. You're like, you can? You show me now. Not right now. Had to train for that to pass my test. Who cares? Some of you are like, I don't care. Well, my testimony is I can eat faster than anybody in this room. It's probably true. Who cares? My testimony is I used to work for Arthur Anderson and I went to seminary with Joe Ballock. Who cares? I care. He was awesome. He was actually a part of the whole... Uh, we were in class together one day, and he's like, when are you going to ask her out? And I was like, Joe, I got four years. I don't know. Two weeks later, boom, with the encouragement of friends and counsel, boom is right. But you don't care. What you care about is Jesus, ultimately. You care that I married Ashley. I know you do. But you care about Jesus. It's not my resume. It's not my achievements. It's not making a name for myself. It is the testimony of this wise God and this loving Savior. And so these three chapters, if you go back and read them, there are no commands to you, to us. These three chapters, God, here's a summary of them. God planned what he was going to do. And then God executed his plan in his son. And then Paul's just revealing to you, we communicate this executed plan. And so we're moving from the call of the church, which is one through three. This is the indicatives. This is who we are in Christ. And then in four through six, we're going to move into the conduct of the church. This is what we do. This is our first. If you look at verse four, uh, verse one of chapter four, I therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, the therefore is looking back on all three chapters. I therefore, based upon a God who selected me, his son who sacrificed for me, his spirit who sealed me, based upon this hope of my calling, this riches to which I'm looking forward to, and this immeasurable greatness of his power in my life today, that he saved me individually, 
alive with him into this living kingdom, this citizenship. And I go out and share the good news. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you. What does he do? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so what Paul's going to do here is give you five different things. How we should, based on seeing God clearly for who He is, how should we walk in a manner worthy? We should walk in unity, 4, 1 through 16. But I want to show you something. Last week, Ben said, he, he was preaching on the gospel and he didn't want us to ever get over the gospel, that we never outgrow the gospel, ever. The gospel isn't just Jesus saved you and then the rest of your church life is just you trying to get holy and wait to meet Jesus. The gospel is not the ABCs. I learned those back in Sunday school. Now I'm on to algebra and calculus. No, no, the gospel is central. It is the hub on the wheel. It is foundational. Everything else is built on it. And when you put verses in the Bible together, you can see some great things. Paul says here, walk in a manner worthy. He's commanding us, walk in a manner worthy. How are we to do that? If you and I go out apart from the enabling grace of God, we will pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We may do pretty good. We're Americans, by the way. But how do we do that? He gives us the answer in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, to this end, we pray for you. Paul's prayer for you. This should be our prayer. This should be, let's do this this week. Here's a, it's not even in the script. This is just a new application. I encourage you. I don't demand command. I encourage you. These two verses, commit them to memory. You can do it. If you can memorize stats on sports teams and stuff, you can do it. Commit these two verses to memory and pray this for every believer you know by name. And let's see what happens. I pray, we pray. Get together with others, because he says, we pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. But Paul says, I'm supposed to walk in a manner worthy. Right, because God's making you worthy. You mean to tell me what God commands he fulfills? Yes. You mean he's that sovereign over life? Absolutely. That he may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. So, like I go back to earlier... Joe chose those songs. It was his resolve for good. But who fulfilled it? God did. But but God did it. He's making him worthy and he's fulfilling it. And every work of faith by his power, not by our power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be in you. All glory be to Christ and you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are called in 1 through 16 of chapter 4 to walk in unity. That we should be a unified body. That doesn't mean uniformity. I mean, I like Joe's haircut because it's similar to my haircut. It's it's close to Heath's haircut and maybe Ben and Reed's haircut. But not everybody has to have short hair or bald heads. We're not uniform here. I mean, Luke's got his cool little thing working. It's not uniformity. We don't all have to be the same. It's about unity. It's about unity within diversity. Walk in unity. It's takes humility, it takes gentleness, it takes patience, it takes bearing with one another. And we need to be eager about this. And then we need to walk in purity. 
verse 17. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They don't walk in purity. Verse 20, but that is, is not the way you learn Christ. Verse 23, you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That we are to be a pure people. We are to be different. That we are to be unified and we are to be pure. And then in that, that section there, if we were to go through it, if you were to take your time and work through chapter 4, the last 17 through 32, you would learn about speaking the truth in love. You would learn about being controlling your anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. So it doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. It would say, learn about working hard. It would learn about speaking so you build people up, that we don't tear them down. We'd learn about pleasing the Spirit and not being bitter. We'd learn about forgiveness as God gave us. That's all in that section there. And then in 5.1, we're called to walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk in love. And then in uh, 7 through 14, we're to walk in light. Somebody texted this week and they said, well, isn't darkness bad? And I said, well, you know, you can get blackout shades in your hotel to help you sleep. But generally speaking, the biblical pattern is light is good, darkness is bad. Walk as children of the light. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then this last one in this section on walking in a manner worthy starts in 515. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We're to walk in wisdom. How? Making the best use of our time. Productivity is good. Calendars are good. Writing things down on calendars is good. Living by that is good. It's not hip and trendy to try to keep it all up in your head. You will forget. Why should we do this? Because the days are evil and we want to maximize our days for Jesus. We want to live in such a way that we give all glory to Christ. Therefore, don't be foolish, but know and understand what the will of the Lord is. You can know the will of the Lord, and you should. And then he gives that section, that final section. He gives, he gives it in the ways of how we're supposed to do it. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. So you're filled with the Spirit. That's the power. And then he gives the paradigm. You know what the paradigm is? It's structure. It's structure and authority. That he, that he gives information to wives and then to husbands. He gives information to children and then to parents, of which the father's called to lead. He gives instructions to bondservants and then to the masters. And so each and every one, Paul sets up the one who's supposed to submit first as they have more honor. Wives, submit to your husband as to the church. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, children, obey your parents, plural. Fathers, do not exasperate them. Bondservants, work this way. Masters, don't threaten, but but work with your bondservants. The power is the spirit. The paradigm is structure and authority, and that is what the world hates. It's in all of, not all of them, three or four of them, Paul's letter of social structure, there's always hierarchy and authority and that is what the world hates. But if you go anywhere and everywhere, there's always authority everywhere. It's built into life. Do you guys pay your bills? 
You should, because there's an authority over you of which you pay your bills. Um, if you get on a plane, on a proper airline, <laughs> or on a train, you, you've got to go where the conductor or the pilot leads you. You're, you're not there. I don't get to walk up to, to the cockpit. I flew, flew to Minnesota a couple weeks ago, got on a plane. I didn't get in and go, hey, here's what we're going to do. And give them my best George W. No, what you do is you get on a plane and you sit in your seat. And I sit in the seat that I have because life is about structure and authority. And the quicker young people, you understand this and you see it's beautiful and divine and it's a picture of Christ in the church, more on that in a minute, the better your life will be. Structure and authority is woven into life. there, There are natural laws. We don't jump off roofs of of gyms. You can if you want, but there's a natural law that comes with that. And there are spiritual laws. And so, my fourth reason I love the local church is that the local church is imperfect, but gifted. In those sections there, it talks about not, it's, it talks about not being bitter, not being angry, because we're imperfect people and we can get that way. It talks about we're gifted. He gave some as apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists, and we're gifted. And we're progressing. We're walking with God. It is a full and forgiven sinners who are growing in grace on the path to heaven. It's full. That's what the church is. We're forgiven sinners. People tend to think you walk into church and like nobody makes mistakes or sins. No. We're forgiven sinners. You know that. And so here is, here is my application to you. Uh, my accountability as a pastor, as a sheep, as one of the sheep. I, some people will call me sometimes and say, hey, this is one of your sheep. I'm like, I'm a sheep too. But here's my, my accountability is good for me. Did you know that? Accountability is good for you. To have people around you uh, to let you know it's good for you. And then in chapter 5, in one section, six times of the nine times it's mentioned in Ephesians, six times it's mentioned in verses 22 through 33. I just want to read portions of that for you. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ rules the church. I I am not the senior pastor. And I mean that. I know it's kind of hip and trendy today. Who's the senior pastor? I'm not. Jesus has been around longer than me, so he's senior. I'm the lead pastor, but I lead among a, a board of elders. But the ruler, the, the, the authority over this church and over every church is Jesus. He's the head of the church, his body, and himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, that's what you should do. And when, when, when my kids are learning about the structure of authority, when they submit to their parents, they're submitting to God. Lord willing, those parents are guiding in godly ways. And when the church submits to elders, it's submitting to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church. He sacrificed for the church. He gave his life for the church. Acts 20, 28 says he spilled his blood for the church. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. Verse 26 Jesus Christ, this is a good one, take this one away from you, died for an imperfect church. When you came to Eagle Bible Church, it's an imperfect church. 
from whatever church you came from. That was an imperfect church. Billy Graham said it best. The church, go to pick any church you want. The minute you get there, it ceases to be perfect. It's true. But if we would t- pause for a second, well, that's a marriage, that's a marriage passage. I've only ever heard that at weddings. Well, now you're hearing it on another day. Jesus Christ died for an imperfect church so that he might prepare her to present her in 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ died for an imperfect church. So don't... I love showing that video about the meat church earlier because that's really sometimes what happens. Well, I don't like it when you show videos at the beginning of your church. Well, I don't care. I don't like, sometimes it's really hot in here. We should open the doors. Just take your shirts off. I mean, not all of you, but you know, just get cool. Be wise. Come back wiser next week. But this, sometimes we get so caught up in things that don't matter that we forget the things that really do matter. And so it's an imperfect church. Every church, should you leave this church and go to another church? I guarantee you it's imperfect. So he might, he's working on us. He's working on all of us. Keep going. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So here's my fifth reason for why I love the local church. The local church is the precious bride for whom Christ died. It has infinite value. That is the local church. I don't care how many people attend the local church. That is for whom Christ died. It has infinite value. So my application to you is this. My priority should be that of Jesus. And here's my question to you. And I mean to ask this in this way. Do you love sacrificially and do you cherish with all sensitivity the local church like Jesus did? Are you that committed to your local church? Yeah, I thought it would get quiet. Because we always just take this as a marriage passage and we just can't, oh yeah, the husband and the wife and they're all standing up here. Every single time I do this, I pause in the ceremony. They have no clue what's going on. She's dressed up and she's just nodding, just get done with it. He's all excited They have no clue, but my goal in this is to proclaim the gospel to everyone who is there and say, what these two are doing is a picture of something bigger, and it has been from the beginning. In fact, it says in 33, however, or 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. When these two come together, it is not just because she's beautiful and he's worked out just for today. And they're coming together and they love one another. No, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. And we, we skim through that so quick, we, see, we miss the fact that Jesus sacrificed for the church. Jesus, do you cherish the church? Cherish it. Cherish it. We all cherish something. 29 says, but nourish and cherish it just as Christ does the church. And then finally, 
So he ends in 6, 9, he ends with that section on, on walking in wisdom. And then he begins his final section in 6 with, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. So there are certain things that we stand against. We are against certain things and that is okay for you to be against certain things. The schemes of the devil. Oh, the devil is a schemer. I just read an article this week called The Devil Loves Boring Sermons. He does. The devil, and I'll say this, and I would say it to bless his heart. Uh, when you say bless your heart, you can say that. I would say this to that pastor if he were sitting here right now. The devil loved that sermon last week because it was all about that pastor and how this pastor and this other pastor or these three other guys joined together to talk about world hunger had nothing to do with Romans 6. The devil loved that. Stand against certain things. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. That is battle language. It's, life is not easy. At work, at home, definitely not in the church. Life is not easy. And I sent this to my brother this morning. I said, bro, you're doing it because life isn't easy. It's tough when you go into traditional town somewhere over on the east. I won't give it away where you're there and they've bought into every tradition in the world and you're trying to make good gospel changes. It's going to be a battle. But remember, it's not against flesh and blood. Satan would love for there to be splits in churches. Satan would love for then those split churches to have boring sermons. He's a schemer. But we must stand against that and we must stand firm. And then it goes on to talk about the belt of truth that holds everything up, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the, the feet that have the gospel of good news. And so that brings me to my sixth and final point. And by the way, these aren't the six. This is, you know, there's six chapters in Ephesians. There's six here. Yeah. There, you could give, like we sang, 10,000 reasons. But here's my sixth. The local church may face persecution, but it's called to stand firm by grace, knowing it will never die. It will never die. It has infinite value. If Jesus Christ dies for something, it has infinite value. And when Jesus Christ says, and I quote, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He means it. So when people write books, the church must change or it'll die. I'll just sit there and go, please. I'd rather go buy a comic book. That, I'm not going to run out and read that. Oh, what must I do different? Okay, better coffee. Minister to the millennials. No, whatever it is. The church doesn't need to change or it's not going to die. The church needs to stay faithful to what it's always called to do. It's eternal. And so my encouragement to you, my application for you is this. My tenacity should be evident as I fight the good fight. People should see my identity in Christ. 
They should see my community with God's people. They should see my testimony as the good news. They should see my accountability with other Christians, that we call one another out, we call one another up. This is what I love about that authentic manhood. It gets guys together and they say, man, this is where I'm dropping it. Well, then let's step up. Let's do this together. Trying to teach my sons that. And that the value, that my priority should be where Jesus' priority is. This whole shenanigans about home churches, well, I want to be about Acts 2. You just didn't read Acts 2. They were in homes and they were in public places. Well, if you have a church in your home and you don't have elders or you're not performing the sacraments or the, you know, whatever you want to call them in the Protestant world, you don't have a church. You must have elders and you must be living out the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper as often as you would do that. But you don't have a church. So this whole idea of church, how you want it, this isn't Burger King. You don't get to do church how you want it. This is not me, church. This is the local church. And you should fight for it. You should fight for it. And then Paul concludes, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. To inform others of the good of the church is a great thing. I send him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. Do others know how how you are? Do others know how you are? Are you that comfortable in a church where you could say, man, this is how I'm doing? I kind of caught it. I see Brad's not happy with the Riskies. I'm not happy with the Riskies that they're moving. I mean, go live with your family, follow your family, that's fine. No, but, but the point is, you can tell how Brad is because he, he, he just got caught up in the moment. And you could go ask him. And if you ask Brad, hey, how are you doing, Brad? He's not going to give you some cheesy, I am the associate pastor of Eagle Bible Church, all is well. He'll tell you how he's doing. Do, you, do people know you? And, and that they may encourage your hearts. You're an encourager to others in the local church? When you bring the beauty of the church to people, it gives understanding and encouragement. And finally, he said, Peace be to the brothers with love, with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. It's a double shot of love right there at the end. And he begins how he, he ends how he began. Grace and peace, he ends with peace and grace. And so here's a summary of Ephesians. Paul wants you in the first three chapters to see clearly the beauty of God, the immeasurable greatness of who he is. He wants you then to walk worthy. As you walk in unity, you walk in purity, you walk in love, light, and wisdom. And he wants you to stand ready, that you stand against certain things and you stand firm on certain things. And that is the book of Ephesians. And here's my reasons why I love the local church. One last time. We learn of a sovereign God. God is sovereign. And when you and I know that and we get past this whole election predestination thing and we, we truly try to understand in love he predestined us, he predestined us to be adopted as sons, it was by his mercy that he elected us, we go, wow, he really is that big. He really is in control. And then he'll, he'll show you little things along the way. I'm not saying don't read into everything dates and all that, but I thought it was kind of cool that I drove 44 hours and I turned 44 today. Eh, God's sovereign. We could have driven 43 and then it wouldn't have worked, but God's sovereign (laughs) over everything. He's sovereign over everything. Your life going bad? 
what, what keeps me going, if, if I kept praying, Lord, I don't want my car to break down. But there it is. But if my car breaks down, you're doing it for a reason. If my AC goes out and then you're doing it for a reason and I'm going to trust you. He's sovereign. We're saved by his grace into his community. It's a living kingdom. We are children of God and the citizens of heaven. Saved by grace, not by your works. And you're saved into something. You're saved into the church. I can't overemphasize that. And then we're to share his message with the world which will inform the universe. We're to walk together as a witness to the world. That when they see us working together, they see something special. And we should value his church as he valued the church. If there's one point you're, you don't, I don't want you to forget, forget one through four and number six. Do you value the church and cherish the church like Jesus does? And we should stand against and firm, knowing commitment to the local church will be eternally rewarded. Every other ministry organization on the planet has the um, potential of dying. There are ministries that are around today that weren't around years ago, and there are ministries that are around years ago that are gone today. It is not about parachurch ministries. It is about the local church, and it will never die. And commitment to it, whatever its size, will bring eternal rewards. What warms my heart is when I see kids that want to come serve, when I see kids that come up with ideas as kids in a local church. That should be really encouraging and it should be somewhat convicting. I'll just let you hang on that. (laughs) Father, thank you for the local church. Thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that my identity is in your son, Jesus. Thank you that my community is with these precious souls right in front of me. Thank you that my testimony is what you've done in my life, not what I've done for you. Thank you that my accountability is with these precious souls. Thank you that my priority, that you have shown me my priority. Lord, in my own life, I would have chosen and have chosen other things, but you and your sovereign grace made me worthy of your calling and are making me worthy of your calling and fulfilling every resolve for good. And thank you for a tenacity to stick with it until your son comes again or until we die. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.